Hello and welcome to another episode of The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today you're going to hear an interview I recorded recently with the Dublin-based artist Ownzy, formerly a member of a couple of punk bands, both which we talk about over the course of the interview, uh, as well as punk in general and its influence on him. Onzi has just released his third solo album, Dramamine, via Out in the Limb Records. Uh, it's a gorgeous listen, though, as you'll discover as the chat goes on, it covers plenty of dark ground as well. Uh, you can listen to Dramamine on Spotify and onzi.bandcamp.com, uh, O-W-E-N-S-I-E. You can also buy the album there or in your favourite, I don't know, local record store. Uh, it was a couple of days after its release and Dublin launch party that we talked but uh Onzi still has some shows coming up soon two of which are this weekend and if you're living in Cork well you're in luck Friday November 27th he plays a house show in Kinsale which sounds like it'll be class he's playing with Big Mon- Big Monster Love and Atlas and Atlas who are back I thought that I was never going to hear that name again but uh if you haven't heard that name before uh definitely check them out they're well worth it uh the following day Saturday, November 28th, Onzi is doing an in-store acoustic set in Plugged in Cork at quarter past one in the afternoon. He's also part of the Popical Island All Dare taking place in Whelan's on November 19th. And now that you have all of that information floating around in your head, here is my interview recorded recently with Onzi. So yeah, congrats on the new album. Thank you. you. <laughs> pleased with how it's turned out? Uh, yeah, I was really happy with um, with the finished mix and everything else. Yeah, I got to hear it on record for the first time last week, so that was it was <coughs> great to hear it on vinyl. And, yeah, and hear that it still sounds right, and that it, that it that it works um, well on that medium. <laughs> so like, uh, it's out on out on limb. So like, they printed up the records, and then you just yeah. you, like you didn't hear the the uh, what's it called the test run. Test pressing, no. Test uh, pressing. There was no t- the time frame was pretty tight, so um, we couldn't factor in a, a test pressing. It just had to kind of go. Now, like everything had been mixed and mastered by people who had trust in terms of the the finished product. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be too worried about any particular aspect of the mix in terms of how it might come out on record. So, you know, it was a small risk, but not a very big one at the same time. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. I've heard um, uh, just people have just bad experiences with the vinyl when they get it they're like oh fuck it's not it's not what i expected at all yeah yeah like i think a lot of i think a lot of those problems are to do with how a record is mixed and mastered maybe with sometimes you're working with people who don't always have that consideration in mind but when the the album was kind of written and put together it was it was primarily to be a record and it was always conscious of the fact that it was going to be released on record primarily. So is is that the first time that you've actually kind of worked like that? Uh, no, the last album was kind of made on that basis as well, um, and obviously I'd learned a lot from the previous experience. Um, so, but this was very much making two sides of a record. Yeah. Right, and how? So, I was looking. At, I do have the lyrics here. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to get you to read them out or anything okay. like that, but. Good. Uh, I was kind of thinking about how it's um, different to the other records and it sounds like you're still talking about, um, you know, migration and stuff like that, I think. Is that fair to say? I think I am, am I? Yeah. I think so. It it also felt like it was more, it's 
it's a very empathetic record. Like there's uh, the likes of Jennifer and track number six, which I don't have. Is it track number six? Jennifer and Scary Eyes. I oh, thought okay. are, they're kind. Of, they kind of seemed like they're kind of almost companion tracks. Uh, yeah, uh, that's that's an interesting take. Uh, yeah, no, Jennifer was definitely an empathetic song, and I think when I wrote Scary Eyes, I was actually worried that it was going to come across as kind of the opposite of Jennifer, as kind of mocking. Oh, okay. So uh, that's interesting that you didn't you didn't get that from it. But I'm <laughs> good that you did because I like when people get a different something different. Yeah. From a song. It's uh, with um, like all three of your albums. It seems like the lyrics are much, um, what will I say, like they're very important to the album as a whole. Whereas, you know, a lot of the times you'd hear artists and pe people would talk about bands and, you know, they'd barely even mention the lyrics. And I think lyrics yeah. aren't the first thing that people talk about yeah. after they listen to an album. But with you, it's kind of like, what, what's coming next, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, lyrics are really important for me as in songwriting. Um, it's something that I spend a lot of time on, and I've spent increasingly more amounts of time on with each album. Okay. Um, and I just think that without, um, for me, well, for me personally, if, if a song doesn't have very good lyrics, I'm probably not drawn to it. So when it comes to making or writing songs, I, I'd, I'd, I'd operate from the basis that if, if it doesn't have a story or, you know, uh, some kind of narrative or even enough kind of uh, enough lines or phrases or even sometimes it's just a simple word that will set off little explosions in a person's imagination that will allow them to kind of feel some kind of ownership with the feeling in the song um, I don't think there's any, there's any point in it personally I, personally I wouldn't take I wouldn't probably derive much pleasure from writing songs purely from a purely trying to make something sound as gorgeous as possible or as I, d I don't know um, that's probably why it worked out better for me to, to end up kind of working with Deck doing production on this album because he would be more uh, interested in those <laughs> okay. in, in the overall sound production of things that I maybe wouldn't pay as much attention to I'd be more thinking about the words so did you yeah. come into the studio like with the songs all kind of finished and the lyrics all done or did you get kind of ideas from the people who are on the album? Um, well, the f what, I, what I originally set out to do was to make um, a stripped back solo album that was just going to be guitar and voice so um, I spent a lot of time trying to write and hone the songs to be standalone things that I could go off and perform on my own. Um, and once I started recording the songs, then kind of realized that well, you know, I could we can put some, you know, for the purpose of it making it sound like a real record, we need to add some minimal production to this to give it some depth. Uh, otherwise, it may as well just be like a live album from a shed or something like that. <laughs> um, so with that in mind, I approached my friend Deck Hines about doing production. But, um, when he took on that task, he kind of ran away with the album in terms of the amount of production and ideas that he had. And I was quite nervous about that at first, but the longer the process went on, the more what he was doing started to sound, you know, really good, almost overwhelming at times, but um, uh, somewhere in the middle of making the album, 
it kind of decided to let go of the idea of it being a stripped back thing and then to to bring it up to like a bigger sounding album while trying to retain a, a certain level of understatement and not being okay uh, massive sounding um what else has deck worked on um he's worked with kind of He's done. All, he's recorded a lot of bands, and he's kind of helped out a lot of bands with sound and live performance. Um, he's worked with um, Sacred Animals previously with oh, okay. Nolan. Um, I think he recorded the f- No Spill Blood's first EP. Um, they're they're just kind of like you know bigger names that it, that people would m- might recognize. But I mean, he's been working with loads. He's work, work, working with and recording loads of the bands in different ways for years and years and years either just making demos or just helping out in the studio oh, okay. or just helping out with live I think he worked with Cla- I think he worked with Cloud Castle Lake for a little while too yeah he's one of those guys just, just always around doing yeah. stuff and he's really really good uh, he can play everything and he's got a really good ear he's, he's the kind of person that a lot of people will go to when they're working on something to just to run a pass him for like a second opinion or something like that you know because people would kind of trust his musical sensibilities yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you've talked in previous interviews I think around um, the second album Citizens yeah. and it talked about that being a companion album to Aliens or yeah. kind of some, something along those lines yeah. but is this um, kind of a completely separate album now Dramamine is this related to them at all um, yeah I know it, I think in, in not I, I, I wanted to this album to, to be a break break away from the first two in some in some regard um, I didn't want to make, or I didn't feel like there was some sort of trilogy to be made. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I said I tried to to set it with something of a kind of a clean slate in making the record. But um, thematically, I don't know if I necessarily achieved that. Maybe I'm still just <laughs> stuck in that way of writing. Conor O'Brien uh, plays drums on the album. How did that come about? Was that just kind of a mutual connection? That was Deck. Um, Deck would, you know, be kind of mates with him, um, and he bumped into him at a gig last Christmas, I think it was. And they were just chatting because Deck, Deck was working on the album at the time. They were just talking about it, and Con- Connor kind of just offered to help out in any way if he could. He said it to Deck, you know, and then Deck said that to me, and I was kind of like, "Geez, God, I don't know." Um, you know, it was like a. I wasn't even sure if I'd ask him or not, you know, I thought maybe he'd had a few drinks and was just, you know, <laughs> for generous or something like that. But I just, I sent him an email saying, hey, in a kind of a no-pressured way, saying I'd love to have you, if you would like to help out the album in some way, that'd be great. Um, so we went out to his house in January this year and uh, with some mics and stuff like that. And Like you didn't know what he wanted to do or what you wanted to yeah, do with Yeah, like I, I gave him the songs, just the bare songs, and I said, have a listen and if you get any ideas... You know, we'll come out and record. Uh, but no, I, like I thought, we were just going out to like record some backing vocals or something like that. But uh, you know, he set up the drum kit and lots of stuff, and we just spent the day in his living room, just messing around and recording. It was it was really good fun actually. Yeah. yeah. But, um, like he he played drums on a couple of songs with the immediate, but I don't think that he's played. Uh, he's picked up the drumstick since, has he? Uh, no, I, I'm pretty sure he played drums on on all of his albums or most of them. Oh, he did, yeah on, yeah. on the first one, anyway, definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah. He play, he can play anything. I think. He can, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a magician. <laughs> um, is, is that kind of something that kind of uh, is a thing with the Dublin scene that uh, 
you know, you're kind of connected to a lot of different musicians and everyone is kind of willing to help out. Uh, yeah, that's a very positive way of framing it. And I think, yeah, I think, is there, you're, is I think there, you're right. Yeah. Is there a negative way of framing it as well? Well, I don't know. People often talk about Dublin being too small or being too, you oh, know, yeah. people know each other too well or people, it's too <laughs> easy to know people being too, what's the word? Um, too parochial or too inward or too, okay. see, too seen, seen or whatever <laughs> that word is. But no, I think you're, I think you're right. There is a lot of uh, crossover across yeah. the different pockets of different styles and um, yeah no people are always helping each other out in different ways I think it's really good yeah have you guessed it on anybody's album uh, no at all, like in recent years not really no I, I think I did some collaborative kind of stuff with uh, Bantam I, on his last album and that was mainly just oh, yeah, extra yeah. vocals and stuff like that um, you sang you were on the song with Emer O'Donovan Roll Part 2 Roll Part yeah, 2 yeah. Yeah. yeah okay cool that was a couple of years ago now um, I think that's about the extent of my <laughs> crossover. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, largely because of, of time as well. I've got it. I'm a parent and I've got a full time job, so I'm not the kind of person who's available much to do right. music related things. So, so working a full time job and like being a dad too. Um, when do you get to play music? When do you get to write lyrics and record? Um, in terms of in terms of writing lyrics, that's something I do like on, on at lunchtime. And work uh, if I'm working on a song or if I'm working on a, a batch of songs, um, I'll be, I'll just go to a coffee shop at lunchtime and spend most of that time writing. Um, I'll do things like practicing and in the car driving to work. Uh, and then if it's a case of recording, it's literally leave work on Friday, get on the motorway, go down to the studio record all weekend, get back on Saturday night or Sunday and go to work on Monday. <laughs> it's wow. pretty exhausting. So if you've kind of got um, a way of doing it. Yeah. Is, is that the way that you've you've done it for all of the albums and before that as well? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah? Yeah. Have you tried other ways of doing it? But I don't know if there is one. <laughs> is, yeah. there, is there another way? Well, I don't know. Like, obviously, I've never written song lyrics or anything yeah. like that. But just... Uh, I'm intrigued by the way that uh, you know you just kind of not force yourself to do it but just like on your lunch break you know rather than yeah. just scrolling through Facebook or Twitter yeah. or something like that that you kind of yeah. uh, think about what you want to write about yeah well like once I have an idea or a few ideas um, for me it's, it's harder to switch it off than to actually it's harder to not think about it than to think about it if you get me yeah. so um I mean, a few years ago, I tried to stop writing for a while, and and that just didn't work out at all, you know. So, um, like, I wake up every morning with music and like new like music ideas in my in my in my head, and, and I'm just kind of it's something that I only kind of realized more recently that like I wake up every morning with these kind of like really bad pop melodies in my head, <laughs> and I and I just kind of filter them out as the, as I'm like eating breakfast, and then. Then I'll have like ideas that I like, and then that's kind of constantly going on in the background throughout the day. So, um, is that while you're listening to other music as well? Yeah, music and people and everything. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. I wish I had more time to do okay. it. But uh, do you keep notebooks of, of yeah. ideas and yeah, stuff yeah. like that? So you're constantly writing, like, if, like you've tons and tons of notes and then like these these nine songs that make up Dramamine 
come together. Yeah, I, I used to have one notebook and that would keep things relatively organized and when that finished you just get another one. And so yeah, you know where everything is in terms of the notes for each song. But now it's, now it's become, you know, memos on phones and draft emails yeah. and uh, you know, they're kind of spread out a bit more. And I'm, I'm like, I'm actually, I think in my kind of nine to five life, I'm a very organized person. But uh, when it comes to songwriting, it's just this, no, it scraps of crap everywhere and everything's a mess. Um, which I think is, I think for me is a healthy thing to be kind of disordered and disorganized right, in, yeah. in that way and not to be completely Ailey retentive about everything <laughs> in life. <laughs> um, but uh, it's exhausting at the same time trying to be those two people, those two kind of persons, you know, the very organized and, and reliable person and then the sort of scat, scatty creative type. <laughs> I think that that's, uh, that's the thing, being the scatty creative type. I don't think that there's an organized creative type, is there? Probably not, no. If there is, it must sound horrible. <laughs> um, so, uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about um, the lyrics that make up uh, the album of Dramamine? Sure. I tried, I tried to be a bit more um, autobiographical with this one. That, that's what I thought listening to yeah. it, but I, I wasn't sure because I, have you been autobiographical on your other two albums? Not particularly, no. I don't think I was in a very kind of conscious way. Like, I think ultimately, whatever your issues are problems are they, they'll come out through your lyrics in ways that you, you'll read other people might necessarily get get it but it's always there your subconscious is always projected out into everything that you create in some way or other um, but um, you've got I don't mind oh, there yeah that one, like that's do, you, do you want to look at the lyrics uh, no that's okay them? no I know them <laughs> <laughs> that's I, what, I learned them off before. yeah <laughs> that's what singers do um, yeah, I'd like to the the opening song. Yeah, was for me was very autobiographical about just just being kind of you know, this slightly disappointed in approaching middle age and just when as your all your childhood dreams slowly diminish and to, you you start to realize all the things that you're not gonna be able to do or achieve or potentially not be able to do or achieve in a lifetime. Um, that's what that was about, and it you know. I, I'm always writing about kind of broader social and political things, or you know, more serious issues. So I kind of I find it hard to be to be that honest about really kind of that that real kind of personal, almost selfish kind of um, subject matter. You know, just been, oh, I'm just so disappointed with all the things I won't get to do in my. In you're, my, you're in my privileged first world life, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you're you're coming to terms with that. Yeah. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. I'm. I'm pretty well adjusted to to, to that. But uh, I guess it was more just acknowledging that that you might feel that way sometimes, and that that's okay. But you have, just from what I could, kind of find out about you from um, a couple of interviews that you did for the last album. Like yeah. you have done quite a lot. Um, as in, I saw that you had travelled to Brazil, or you had lived in Brazil for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was about ten years ago now. Um, so what? So like you got to see the world, sort of thing, or? Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess. I, I, I guess it's it's a thing with a, it's it's a thing of parenthood as well. Um, it's again, again, just be that that real selfish thought of going. Now that I have all these responsibilities, I can't just kind of, this, I can't just run away anymore or, go off and do go on wild adventures that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is um, is that kind of a, a selfish thing? 
yeah kind of thing that you've got to grapple with yeah yeah i think it's it's a it's a selfish thought but we all think selfish thoughts and it's okay yeah. to, to think that way every once in a while was it difficult to kind of oh, i'm gonna put this out in public uh not too much no um no, no. I think it's. I think I'm comfortable enough in my own skin to just say, yeah, yeah no, it's all right. That's a good thing. I mean, if you're releasing records, you have to be able to <laughs> to be to be comfortable. How did how did uh, living in Brazil come about? It was it was just you decided to up sticks and travel. Uh, it was a mix of things. It was a mix. Yeah, it was two thousand four. Yeah, yeah. That was the second time I lived there. So actually, it must have been about fifteen years ago. Almost. Yeah, actually, it was around this time, fifteen years ago, that I was there for the first time. So it was kind of just out of school. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was playing in Puget Sound. You're like a punk band from Dublin, and we moved to England, and we were, you know, playing gigs there and squatting this, that, and the other. And I'd I'd been dating a Brazilian woman there at the time, who also played in bands in Brazil. So I was like, well, why why don't we just go over to Brazil and go on tour there? So that's what happened, and we ended up staying for six months or so. Kind of. That sounds. Is that easier than it actually came about? Just yeah, telling that it story. It sounds. Let's go to Brazil. So it, we moved to Brazil. It, it wasn't. No, it wasn't as easy and straightforward as that, but it, the whole thing came together in a very uh, disorganized, non-linear way. But it's <laughs> but it happened. <laughs> so. As happens, like when you're in like your first or second band, I guess is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like the whole, how many were in um, Puget Sound? Puget Sound. Puget Sound. Puget uh, it's just three. It was a three piece of just guitar, bass, and drums. And they were all up for. Getting yeah. over to South America. Yeah, I mean, we yeah, well, like we'd all dropped out of school several years previous to that, so right. we were kind of somewhat naive, stupid, and unhappy <laughs> to go anywhere. I think. Yeah. yeah. And what, so, what was like touring around there like? Where Where were you living in Brazil? Was it Rio? Uh, we were kind of based in Central Brazil in a in a town called Goiânia, which is in the like. In the state of Goiás, which is like kind of a kind of like cattle country, you know. Um, we were based there, but we went from to the very nor- northeastern tip of Brazil. We played there, then to the south to Porto Alegre, Florianópolis, the more kind of European-looking kind of cities and stuff like that. So, and and São Paulo city as well. We did a lot of gigs there. Um, so yeah, there was some there was some crazy experiences <laughs> had, yeah. um, but. Uh, it was great. The people they were really nice to us all the time. Um, people always were always taking us into their home and looking after us, feeding us, uh, giving us a place to stay. So it was great. That's good. Just, um, uh, people who were putting on gigs or yeah. who you were paying for? Oh, yeah, okay. people putting on the gigs and their families. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. I thought that you were just kind of wandering around and they saw these Irish lads. Yeah. And they were just there was they... there were one or two gigs where we where we we kind of the gig was over and we didn't have anywhere to stay and the person who organized the gig just kind of disappeared and we we'd kind of spend the night on the street or sitting in a bus depot or something like that but that was that was the exception every other place we went we were treated really really nice that's good really well taken care of and so like did it uh it was a really formative experience anyway for you like presume yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. so six so six months in brazil and then what happened that uh, you came back to Ireland. Uh, yeah, no, it was yeah, yeah. We came back to Ireland after that, and then years later, I was in another relationship, um, and we ended up moving to Brazil to live in São Paulo. Um, 
um, or like I was there for about a year, I was teaching English and stuff like that. We also did another tour with Puget Sound, but my son was born there as well. And then we moved back to Ireland, kind of shortly after he was born. longer uh, after you came back um, to Ireland with Puget Sound did they stick together? Puget Sound, I'll get that right. Okay. Um, we stayed together for until about, um, we released an EP in 2003 just before the, tour in, the last tour in Brazil and we stayed together which was also recorded by Deck actually by Deck Hines yeah um, and we stayed together until I think it was 2006 when the band broke up. Um, um, we didn't really write. We didn't. We'd written some new material, but we had never actually recorded after the the EP in 2003. So there's no, there's not kind of no other uh, artifacts left of the band beyond that, unfortunately. And and you got into Pterodactyl after that. That came afterwards, was it? Yeah. And so was that kind of just following on from. Puget Sounds? Pterodactyl was like um, that was kind of like a re- my rebound band after <laughs> break, after breaking up with coming out of a long term relationship because um, I, I was in Puget Sounds since I was about 14 or 15 so that had been you know over 10 years of my life um, almost a half of my life kind of playing in that band so Pterodactyl was kind of trying to break away from the kind of noisy screamy thing a bit it was still you know heavy music but trying to be you know incorporate a bit more kind of of jazz and melody and vocals and stuff like that which would like around that time it wasn't cool at all for a punk band to have a singer like or to, to sing a melody you know if you weren't shouting or screaming kind of it was yeah. it was frowned upon almost so um it probably like if you listen to to the terror to pterodactyl um it doesn't really seem like a big deal but to me at the time it was <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that band was a lot of fun as well uh, it was pretty relaxed no pressure kind of band no great um, sense of responsibility or seriousness about it so it was mainly just kind of making music and, and that made you laugh because <laughs> yeah. p- punk is something that you've talked about uh, before as well as being very important with how you decided to write about lyrics you know writing about politics and everything um what was it like did you get into punk when you were like mid-teens like like a lot of people would have and what was it that drew you to it yeah i got into punk music probably around 12 or 13 originally just like an older cousin of mine he had a pretty good uh record collection he'd grown up in glasgow see he had actually seen a lot of the kind of the just the, the the kind of old kind of seven seventy seven era punk bands, um, like you would have seen the Clash and the Buzzcocks and Sham sixty nine and all those kind of bands. Um, so was he telling you all the stories? He was showing me these records, and I was like, "That sounds crazy," you know. Even like hearing the Sex Pistols for the first time was like, "Jesus," you know. Those lads are dangerous, you know. Um, so it was really that was, I think that was the, my first kind of introduction, and obviously like around that time that's when bands like Green Day and The Offspring were becoming really big so punk was kind of becoming 
popular in the mainstream on MTV and stuff like that. But I guess so the combination of those things got me into listening to punk music. Then once I started playing in a punk band, like in a, in in a, in Roar's bedroom, Roar the drummer's his in his bedroom. After which we started to get to play gigs, like punk gigs. Once that happened, we were just totally hooked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, were you uh, playing guitar before that, or was it just like you wanted to pick one up once you realized, oh, we can form a funk band? Um, no, no, I was kind of tentatively trying to learn guitar at home on my own. Uh, and I think what happened there was I was I was in like a uh, I was in a stage musical in secondary school and for I think it was called I think it was a musical called Bye Bye Birdie it was and it involved like a kind of a like a Beatles-esque band as part of the story and so people for props two guys brought in electric guitars as props for this band and I and it was just like kind of I saw the I saw the get the electric guitars and it was like love at first sight I was fascinated but by like the the shape the curvature of them and the the pickups the strings and the frets uh, the ma- everything the machine I was just I was like I need I need to play one of these or I need to learn how to play guitar this is like the most amazing thing ever even the input it's just like <laughs> what goes in there like how does it work <laughs> yeah. yeah so was it just a case of uh you going home and just I want a guitar, I want a guitar, and you know yeah. you get one and just kind of being informed by friends and you know figuring it all out along the way. Yeah, pr- pretty much. Um, there was a few, there was a few people living kind of nearby who were into, you know, heavy rock and grunge at that time. It was like the mid '90s, so Fate No More and all that kind of thing. And some of those people played guitar. So I think I bought one off a guy who was kind of in the process of stopping being a metaler. <laughs> and so I think I bought I think I bought his like a Stratocaster copy for thirty pounds or something like that, and literally plugged it into the hi-fi system in my parents' living room because that was the only kind of amplification available. And I was just like, "This is crazy! This is this is nuts!" So when you talk about punk informing your lyrics and what you're going to write about, is yeah. is it the likes of Black Flag who you're being influenced by, or, or are there other? bands that I'm not thinking of no I don't Black Flag wouldn't really I never really listened to Black Flag much more so probably just passively at friends houses and stuff I was always more interested in um, the kind of UK punk history as such from like bands like Crass and Conflict and stuff like that I think more so than uh, more so than the kind of the DC scene stuff like that um, but I was always, I don't know, I, I guess I was always kind of drawn to the more politically kind of oriented bands or the more kind of radical political messages in punk music, yeah. So when you were doing that, did you think that you'd be where you are now, kind of with a, with an acoustic guitar and kind of singing complete, like, it's not punk? In, is it punk in any way, bar the lyrics? Yeah, no, for me it's, it's, it's punk as fuck because it's, it's the most untypically sounding form of music but it still has the same message and I'm not performing that message to a lot of punks at a punk gig (laughs) I'm performing it to uh, the more general public (laughs) which I think is a better a better uh, use (laughs) of such messages would would punk kind of be the main kind of music that you listen to or are you kind of more gravitating towards kind of acoustic singer songwritery stuff I know that you said um, Elliot Smith 
I, mem I remember you said that you had um, you had listened to him a lot because you hadn't you hadn't heard him, but your music was kind of constantly uh, getting compared to it yeah. around the last album, and then you you listened to it a lot more. And I, I mean, I still think that he'd be the main influence that I that I would say listening to Dramamine. Yeah. So, is it that type of music that you're more listening to now, or is or is, is it kind of still heavy stuff and um, no, I think I'm just listening to, in terms of you know styles of music, just li listening to everything at all. Like I'll, I'm happy to listen to a good punk band. I'm happy to listen to a good songwriter, singer-songwriter, more folky kind of stuff, electronic music. For the, like for the last year or so, I've been mainly listening to jazz and old '50s, '60s jazz. Um, and I don't know. No, I think like most people nowadays, listen to pretty much everything. Yeah. Once it sounds good, um, it's just too easy with Spotify and everything else and the internet. It's just too easy to not find good music, regardless of genre. Once someone recommends it to you, you're you're probably more likely to listen to it. Not necessarily buy it, but <laughs> to hear it and experience it and listen to it. Um, d just kind of going back again. I don't know. I think that I'm. Completely messing with everybody's uh, ideas of time here. Just uh, when Puget Sounds was um, starting out in Dublin, I presume. Like, what, what was there a scene here? Or did you just feel like, oh, we have to move to England? We, you know, we have to kind of get out of here. Um, there was in the, like kind of the mid to late nineties. There was a small, there was a small punk scene, kind of underground punk scene in Dublin, but. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot going on in terms of uh, venues, so you might you might there might be a gig on say once a month or once every two months, um, and not a whole lot else. Um, there, yeah, there just it wasn't it didn't really have a solid music scene and nothing in anywhere close to what it what it's like nowadays just even in terms of the number of bands and the number of venues and the number of act and the kind of level of overall activity it wasn't there um, but beyond that I was just kind of in my late teens quite depressed as well I just wasn't happy in life and I just it seemed like going to England would you know be a place for us to live and be able to play more would would have a lot more opportunity basically than Dublin would at the time and Ireland in general. Yeah. And where in England was it that you went that you went to? Uh, we went to Leeds in the north of England, okay. which is which is quite grey and cold yeah. and miserable. So it's uh, daily shot, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Possibly. Um we were in Leeds City but so we were we were very much in kind of urban industrial north northern England. Um met lots of really nice people, had a pretty great time there but you know um it was it was just as kind of great there was a, a hell of a lot more going on it was a hell of a lot more fun to be had and, and gigs and events and everything else uh the lead six music scene was really good the punk scene was really good uh lots of great bands um so it was a lot more fun to be had, but in terms of weather and overall atmosphere, it was equally as depressing yeah. as Dublin. Yeah. It was worse than Dublin. Uh, worse than Ireland. Just slightly colder, I think. Yeah, and more miserable. <laughs> That's such the phrase. It's grim up north. <laughs> um, Leeds would be one of the most uh, integrated cities in England. Is that kind of where you first um, 
kind of came across the idea of migration and you kind of became involved in um, activities around it, I guess? Uh, no, 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 like it, it was... It was kind. Of, it was integrated to some extent, but it was still quite segregated. It, like we lived in, we lived in Hare Hills and uh, Chapel Town, I think it was in Leeds, t- which were two pretty rough areas. One was kind of Afro-Caribbean, and the other was more, um, I guess, Middle Eastern Muslim, North African kind of. Um, so it didn't feel very integrated and i think like around there was you know race there was race riots happening in bradford around the time that we were living there as well so i was kind of coming from relatively white homogenous ireland in the late 90s to experience in that um which was a big shock to the system um so it didn't it didn't really feel it felt kind of multicultural but didn't feel integrated like you you'd certainly feel a different sense of community from w- one street that you walked onto onto to the next, if you get me. Um, but it definitely, yeah, the whole living there. I guess maybe the shock to the system of living there definitely fit into my kind of own senses of uh, migration and different human societies, religions, cultures, and things like that. Yeah, and how it doesn't always. Uh, work out for very well all the time so wh- when was it that you kind of moved back to dublin um full time and like w- was it a surprise that you know there were more venues there were there were more things going on um more opportunities more bands and everything um yes yeah, so i probably started living in dublin around the mid noughties like 2004 i think um and yeah, and I, again, I, like we were, we were mainly just based in in the punk scene. We didn't have any great concerns for anything outside of that at the time. I guess we were quite insular in that regard. Um, but there was, yeah, there was a lot. There was kind of younger people, younger than us in the punk scene, because <laughs> we'd kind of stopped being teenagers and we're in our early twenties. Um, so it was it was very positive at that time because there was instead of monthly gigs there were weekly gigs and sometimes there might be two gigs in one week or something like that you know so there was and a lot more bands around um, and that kind of tied in with the, the the punk scene had become a lot more politically active then as well and there was like there was squatting going on and things like that um, and it just yeah it started to feel bigger and stronger and it was it was a lot more intertwined with the kind of Shomer spree and social centre scene and in in Dublin at the time, it just felt like it it had grown into something a bit more sustainable and more positive. And uh, then so, so again, like what what type of bands was it that was around uh, then? So, um, geez, loads of bands. Um, uh, in Dublin, there was um, Aspa Massa up in Belfast. There was bands like the Dagda. Um, and this is kind of like this is around the time when the like even the Redneck Manifesto when they started out they would have been playing the same kind of gigs as well you know, uh, more just kind of the DIY underground scene, um, and because it, I think because Dublin or Ireland even as a country was still s- quite small the mix of styles of bands was a bit more eclectic than you'd probably find in mainland Europe, um, I think that changed over time, um, to be less so. But in Dublin at the time, you'd have uh, like you'd have a real you'd have like a post rock band playing with like a 
you know, a ska punk band or, you know, a metal punk band or something like that. It didn't kind of make sense, but it was it was a lot more. I, I always found it a bit more entertaining. <laughs> yeah. You you say that there's that that there's not as much what did you say? You said that there's not as much um that there's kind of more conforming yeah. kind of going on in sound, which is interesting because you said Spotify offers so much yeah. sound. Is that is that just um, I mean, where do, where does that opinion come from, and like, why do you think that's so? I d- I don't know if it is so. Not like speak. I'm just speaking specifically about the 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 punk scene. That oh okay yeah, it just seemed to become for me anyway. It just seemed to become very very punk and less kind of creative than it would may have been before. May like, but you know that said, I haven't really gotten to go to many punk gigs over the last few years, so. I don't have a great insight into the status quo of the scene at yeah, present. Yeah. Uh, but there was just a time there when it did seem to become all about hardcore and um, everything is raging, screaming guitars and big amps and not a whole lot going out. Um, not a whole lot happening on the kind of margins of that in terms of more experimental bands within the punk scene. But as kind of independent DIY music grew in Dublin as well, I think anyone in the punk scene who did feel like doing something different probably gravitated away from punk into just the general in- independent scene, independent music scene in Dublin as that became bigger. There was no need to, f- I guess you had more places to actually play gigs or to have promoters or people organising gigs who'd, who'd let your band play. <laughs> it wasn't just limited to that anymore. Yeah. 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 Where did the idea of Owensy come from? First of all, was it a nickname that you had, Owensy? Is that just what everybody called you? And like, what made you want to kind of go out there on your own? No, it is. No, everyone calls me that. And I couldn't think of a name <laughs> for the thing. Um, but I just reached a certain point. I'd written a certain amount of songs where I thought I have to just like start p- performing this. Probably a stupid idea at the time. But... Um, I guess I'd, I'd I'd written some I'd written that many songs that I felt I have to perform or like it, just to even have a sense of getting something off your chest. Um, so I just started. I just asked people f- for for a few gigs um, under my own name or my own nickname. Um, and once I started, then started getting more gigs and more gigs, and then ultimately had an album and released that. Um, and just before, like I was literally just about to put it out as like an upload, like to upload it as a free download album, just myself saying, look, here's my, this is my album. Hope everyone likes to have a download. And then about a week or two before I was about to do that, out of them got in touch because I'd sent them demos a long time ago. They, I think they saw that I'd announced that I was going to do that soon. They got in touch saying, actually, we'd like to release, we'd like to hear the album and possibly release it. And so then once that happened, it became a bit more of a big deal than probably originally in, in set out for it to be. Um, and and you're I, okay and I didn't go along with that. Yeah, yeah, no, it was fine because at the time it was exciting. It was like you know you're about to put you're about to upload your album on onto the internet, and then someone comes along and says actually we'd like to release it on CD and we'll promote it for you. And, I was, and like it's, so for that to happen to anyone, I think even on a very very small scale is is always a great that someone is going to help you out in that way. Um, so once that happened, it became a bit more of a big deal. And then it just kind of spiraled it from there. <laughs> but I didn't get to change my name. 
So just coming back to uh, Dramamine, it's the third album now that you've released yeah. with Out on a Limb yeah. um, and under your own name. We talked about it being a more empathetic album. Just thinking of the last two tracks uh, on on the album yeah. are kind of, um, it, it sounds kind of depressing that you've kind of been beaten down by life. I mean, mm. you talk about going home on, on the red line and just like being like it's a being between um an addict and yeah. and uh, a drunk or something like yeah. that i mean like it is it just a case of you being like oh my god society is just fucked like yeah it's just just dublin and i guess it's just ireland over the last five or six years uh, or longer like it um just kind of despair not the place to some extent you know yeah. Yeah, i mean so many people so many people have left um, and that's that's it's something that's really becoming apparent now in terms of how the kind of music scene outside of Dublin at least has diminished in that there's not really there's not there's not those kind of people around in places like Galway and Limerick and Cork putting on kind of small independent gigs in the way that they used to be before as an ind- like as an independent kind of DIY artist it's a lot harder to actually make a tour around Ireland in the way that it wasn't before and I'm, I'm sure that's largely to do with the fact that so many young people are gone so for those of us who've had to stick around um, I think it's okay to just acknowledge every once in a while that Jesus Dublin is, is fucked you know yeah. <laughs> um, you know it's a great place in a lot of ways but um, yeah I just I think there is a, a kind of a and not just for me I think with a lot of people there is just a kind of quiet sense of despair at the place sometimes yeah. uh, it's kind of a tragedy in, in in all of the bad things that have happened over the last few years um, since the econ- the ec- since the economy collapsed and obviously how that's impacted on so many people's lives in different ways um, um, just kind of reflecting that I guess yeah. it does seem like you know something great happens either a, a quality marriage referendum passes and, and that's all great but then it's just like all, all the stuff around the 8th um, amendment of the referendum around abortion and stuff yeah. and it's just the horrific part of the no side in that it's just it's like it's almost trying to beat people down yeah that's it exactly like it's, it, the, the duality there is, is, is unreal like you know and it's for a place uh, D- Dublin it's like the way that you're describing it it's a place of highs and lows and of extreme it's, kind of, it's quite a kind of bipolar existence in that regard there's some things to be really really happy about um, and then there's other moments of where you just have utter despair for the place that you live in. Yeah, um, yeah I think that's that's a big part of drama. Yeah. And <laughs> is it difficult to keep yourself optimistic? Like uh, as a dad and stuff, you've got to be optimistic in that regard, I presume. Like you've got to say, okay, I'm not going to let the day kind of get me down. I'm thinking of like open office or sorry open prison here um which struck me as probably the most personal song on yeah. on the album it's it sounds like it's kind of talking about you like um so you tried to reinvent yourself as a freelance whatever then you tried to be a socialist but it just made you depressed yeah. is that just kind of something that you've it sounds like you're still kind of grappling with it a little bit but you're kind of trying to fight on through i guess yeah, that's true, and and I had I actually had like a kind of, I had a completely separate objective character in mind when I was writing the song, but I, I guess I'm, I guess you're probably right in that um, subconsciously I was probably just writing about myself the whole time. 
So thank you for that insight. You, you, can, <laughs> you can tell me I'm wrong. Like I'm happy to well, tell you I'm wrong. I know. All you, you, you write the song and then you think, you think it's about something at the time and after a while, you know, maybe other people see the truth in, your, in, the, in the words that you write. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think in Ireland at the moment, it's sometimes, you know, on a day you're 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 living on a day-to-day basis in terms of how you feel or how you feel about the place or how you feel about your situation um because things can be really hard sometimes and other days things can be can be great but there is overall just a sense of still uh soldiering on in a post-celtic tiger 24-hour party people context kind of <laughs> society it's like we were this big. <laughs> it's kind of like Ireland is kind of like it's kind of like that band who got signed with the big record deal and then got dropped suddenly, and <laughs> they've been struggling ever since. Like again, coming back to the idea of migration um, and refugees, because it's a big thing for you. I mean, uh, I, I, is there much on the album that kind of touches on that? Um, just because you know, 2015, it's obviously um, you know a big year in terms of you know like all the stuff from Syria and all the horrific stories that are coming out is th- is there much that you talked about there or have you are you kind of like what more can i say yeah no i, I don't think so no cuz um even for for when we put the set together for 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 this tour now on this album um we wanted to play well obviously you always wanted to maybe try and play a few old songs um and the only two the main two songs that were wanted to do was Aliens, the title track from Aliens, which is really about, you know, um, migration on a kind of, on an international level and undocumented migration and displaced peoples and things like that. And the fear of, of being stateless or being between places and how you're, how you're, you know, your, your levels how you have your different degrees of humanities based on how people are defined as asylum seekers and refugees and people with permission given leave to remain and that kind of stuff. Um, I don't, I think, but I don't think I had anything else to say by the time I came to the third album. So I think that's probably my drama mean has ended up being more personal and being more about specific to Ireland, maybe more, <coughs> more, uh, what's the word, logocentric than the other ones. Yeah. Um, so I don't unless people can find something in it. I don't know. Oh, how do you want people to feel like coming out of the nine songs? Um, kind of, I mean, it sounds lovely, you know, but it's like the subject matter there is so dark that like uh, it, c- it can get you down. I guess. I mean, uh, is that what you were going for in the overall sound? And like, do you want people to be upbeat coming out of it or being like, ah, oh, fuck? No, like I, I think with this kind of music, um, you know, it's dealing with specific emotions generally. You know, you know, dark, darker emotions that everyone has um, and feels um, that it's okay to have and it's okay to feel. So, um, you know, the best I'd hope for in people listening to this album that they would feel maybe consoled or would be able to relate those feelings when they're feeling them to this record um, but uh, but that they can also let them go and feel happy <laughs> that it's, I'm not trying to make people feel depressed but maybe this is something that you can listen to if you're feeling that way 
and you might find some degree of hope from it. <laughs> That's certainly kind of how I feel coming out of, well, I kind of feel all of those things at the moment kind of listening to it because it's still very new to me. I mean, it's only been out um, a week. Um, uh, you did launch it uh, last Friday yeah. in Dublin. Do you want to, um, how, I mean, how did that get go? Were you pleased with how it went? Um, yeah, th- it went really well. Um, it was in a place called A4 Sounds, just off Dorset Street. Um, it was the first time that they'd had a gig in, in this art oh. space. So it, it was really fun. And that as we were, we brought in a PA system and, well, I should say Deck did. He set it up because he knows how to do all those things. Um while we were kind of building the stage and the sound, they were building the venue and they were, you know, they were putting up, they were hanging curtains, they were hanging fabrics from the ceiling, they were installing lights to give it the atmosphere of a venue, laying out chairs, cleaning. So it, w- it really felt like we were building the gig from from nothing, from a, from a blank canvas. So even that whole kind of collective process of, of building a gig before performing a gig was, was great. Uh, so the people were so nice there. Um, and the actual performance itself went really well. Um, the, we sold out the gig. It was great. There was lots of people there. Uh, we had Deck had also made really nice visuals of. Uh, it was just one hour, one hour f- of the sea, basically of like of, of waves. <laughs> um, so I think that helped people to kind of get into the zone of of kind of just being able to, I guess, zone out a bit and and kind of not focus on anything in particular. And um, you know, I think people really came away with a sense of, um, I don't know, I think there was some degree of emotional connection with the performance. But at the same time, during the performance, people started to get notifications on their phone about what was happening in France. So um, so there was kind of, it was it was a strange there was a strange there was, uh, not that it was not that it was articulated in any way but that did sense a kind of a strange feeling in the last maybe five or ten minutes of the performance um, and as soon as we finished I snuck out the back door because there was a pub just next door I wanted to sneak out before I had to talk to anyone uh, and to try and sit at the bar and just maybe have a quiet pint before going back um, so I snuck out the back door without anyone seeing and I ran into the pub and uh, went up to the bar, ordered a pint, looked over at the TV, and I could see what had just happened at the uh, Eagles at Dead Metal concert. And I was like, so it was quite quite a surreal moment to just have finished the kind of the the performance, the first performance of the of the album, and uh, to see that people were being killed and shot, <laughs> just like that. Yeah. But aside from that, yeah, it was a great night. <laughs> So that was the interview with Onzi folks. Go listen to Dramamine on Spotify or Bandcamp. But make sure to properly support it by purchasing the album as well. You won't regret it. And yeah, go see him live as well if you can. Uh, November 27th, Friday, he's playing in Kinsale. The following afternoon on the Saturday, November 28th, he's playing in Plugged and he's doing he's part of the Popgal Island all there in Whelan's on December 19th
So, hope you enjoyed that interview anyway, folks. And as well as the other podcasts, or some of the podcasts anyway, that uh, we've done up to now, the Point of Everything podcast. That was number 20, that interview with Owen Z. 20! You can subscribe on iTunes or most of the other podcast apps that are out there, um, I think, I hope. Uh, and thanks for listening, and hopefully chat next week. Thank <laughs> you.